You're listening to City State Radio, um, coming at you from, again, again, a full year of coming at you from the home studios. My name is Pat Smith. We're here. We're already already celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Um, we got we, we got my illustrious co-hosts on the line. We got Patrick Henry. We got Patrick Payuma. But doing it up big time for St. Patrick's Day. We've got a fourth Patrick. We've got a fourth Patrick here. Um, <laughs> we, we got Patrick Hallahan in the house right here on WXOXLP. Um, 97.1 FM, and we're going to be talking about uh, some cool stuff he's got going, um, talking about cities, talking about food, talking about St. Patrick's Day, all that here in this first segment. Uh, what's going on, guys? Patrick Callahan, welcome to the show. Thank you, and uh, I guess this is the first celebration of the Festival of the Patricks. This is something uh, we've been talking about for a little while now, uh, this is- we're finally getting to do it, virtually at least. This is big time. We got all four leaves of the clover are right here. There you go. There you go. It's Very the cool. only festival where everybody knows your name. That's the that's the slogan. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all for having me on today. This is super fun. Uh, of course. I mean, you've got um, you got some new some new stuff cooking, um, pun intended. Like. Um, <laughs> My understanding is that that you're popping off with kind of like a, a one of a kind uh, new new cooking show, and um, we'd love to hear about food. is so important um, to cities. Uh, we talk about uh, the restaurant scene. We talk about local sort of dishes um, here on City State Radio um, pretty frequently. Um, but we're excited to have you on to talk a, a little bit uh, about this thing you got coming up. What's uh, what's going on? Well, it's, it's actually already happened, <laughs> but it was just, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I just have had time on my hands and food has always been as much a part of my life as music, but publicly I do music uh, more. And, uh, you know, during this pandemic downtime, I've just, I've had time on my hands. I can't tour and I've missed the performance aspect of, of, uh, playing for people. So I just thought I'd take some of that energy and, and put it towards something I've wanted to do my whole life was to have a, a cooking show. And so I just used it as an opportunity to share some recipes that we do here at the house quite a bit and, and try to stretch out ingredients to use over several meals, save some money, uh, you know, utilize everything that uh, you purchase. And it's been a lot of fun looking to do more. I actually walked in on the uh, the taping of that, I believe, when I was doing the tour. <laughs> yes, you did. Your town uh, marketplace, right? That's right. We shot it at uh, the Matt Jamie and his uh, his sweet staff were kind enough to let us come into the um, the demo kitchen and shoot three episodes there. So, hats off to that whole crew over there. They were super supportive of it. So, say you're coming in. For the St. Patrick's Day episode, what what's on the menu? <laughs> well, you know what i I have corned beef and cabbage uh, gurgling away on the on the stove right now. I made a chicken stock yesterday. Started making the cabbage earlier with some ham hocks, and uh, 
have a, a brisket uh, with spices and uh, brine boiling away right now. So dinner tonight is the uh, the usual. So you got is that is that on the is the real stove, the instant pot, or the or, or, oh, the, or the, real the, the, stove. the real stove? You know what's so funny? I I can't because I've just grown up using a real stove and like learning the parameters of that. The the instant pot is an, an enigma to me. Other than some hard boiled eggs and using it as a rice cooker, I <laughs> I don't generally use it that often. Do you? Could you all ever figure that out? I, I instant pot on the rag it's uh it's just the, <laughs> the, the pressure cooker is, is amazing you know you can just toss in you know pretty much any cut of meat within you know, 20 minutes to 45 minutes it's just falling off the bone the the other instant pot um major thing is dried beans you throw in you know a cup of dried beans with some water some uh garlic cloves a little bit of salt and a bay leaf and then bam in like 30 40 minutes you've just got the best beans you ever had whoa yeah i didn't even think about that that's great i never use it for meat because i always like to have the maillard crust that has yeah. the yeah. flavor yeah that's the that's the step that no one really likes to consider on the instapot in the crock pot is that you really you got to get out the cast iron and you, you got to sear the heck out of that meat before you put it into the crock pot or the instant pot. That's a key step. One of the things, like, you know, you, you've had a lot of time on the road. I'm so, you know, jealous of uh, the people that are in the bands that, because, you know, we all love cities here on City State. And um, when, when you're, you know, a, a touring act on the road, you get to drop into cities like every day. And, you know, maybe sometimes every day or two, depending on, you know, what's going on with the schedule. But, you know, you, you've rolled through so many cities around the States, um, around the world. And uh, we just got a sense, you know, we, we've kind of got this converging theme here of, uh, of food and cities. We just wanted to maybe see what you thought about what were some of the, the most memorable food sorts of um, experiences you had out there on the road. Mention too at first, like what band you're touring with, because not everybody knows who your name is. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Oh, well, I, I primarily tour in, uh, my band, My Morning Jacket from Louisville, Kentucky. And we've been on the road pretty much since 2000, I guess. We've, the band was, I wasn't in the band at the beginning, but heavy, heavy touring started around 2000, 2001. So, you know, 20 years of, of living in a different town every night for most of the year. So, yes. I, and I, I too have a love for, uh, Cities, just architecture, how they're laid out, park systems, alleyways. That's one of my favorite parts of the touring culture is just, you know, making a place my home for the day. And through the course of the years, you develop uh, a checklist of what you want to accomplish and also just getting lost. I mean, I'm sure you all know as much about that, too. It's just sometimes getting lost is the, is the greatest part of travel. Yes. Finding things that you didn't know were there, meeting people that you hadn't intended to meet. The, the travel aspect of touring is one of my favorite parts. And by and large, you know, just getting the feel of a city. And as you all well know, like each city has, I never, I never accept somebody saying, well, that's just not a good city because yeah. that's, that's lazy. 
in my opinion. You didn't look because every city has something to offer and there are desirable aspects and undesirable aspects of each town. So I know you've been you've been to a lot of places and you've probably been to a lot of those places three or four times. What what's like especially on, on the food tip, uh what, what what are some standouts for you? And, and maybe, you know, obviously there's gonna be, you know, some ones that we uh like, oh man, that cheesesteak in Philly was great. But uh, maybe any surprising standouts too, if they come to mind. There's tons of surprises. I'm trying to let's let's see here. To add to that, as you think about this, what's your go-to? Just in the sense of like, you know what? I'm basically going to hit the ethnic restaurants when I'm in, you know, this city, or you know, there's a fine dining restaurant. I mean, for me as a person who used to do do it for a living, you know going to fine dining restaurants was not something I was usually interested in. It was sort of hitting up the little, you know, the little Vietnamese place or the taco place or whatever. Exactly. That's a big one. And actually like I have a really bad shellfish allergy now, pre shellfish allergy. It was always finding a Chinatown or a Japan town or a Korea town. That's where I'm going because I know these people are cooking from the heart and cooking for their own culture and if i want to taste something i want to go it's it, i want to go as close to visiting another country as humanly possible atlanta has a really great uh highway that is just full of like a vietnamese culture there's a great part of denver that you wouldn't think about i i, I just feel like that whole aspect of america is really flourishing right now houston is a major food town that I think people are just now starting to talk about. You're asking me to bring up towns that don't necessarily hit the map when people are looking online, but those are major ones right now, in my opinion, Houston especially. There's a great show on Hulu, and Maya Rudolph hosts it. It's a food show, and it's really good. But one of the, one of the shows they do is like basically it's like food places really close to airports so they just sort of hit all these places across the u.s and there's this woman that they interview throughout the show and she basically just has this running list of like when she hits this town and she knows she's got like three hours or something it's all about how much time she has in the layover. She'll run out and go eat at a certain place. And the <laughs> restaurants they were hitting were fantastic. And they were close to the airports, you know. That's great. Yeah, Houston. Anyway. Houston's a great call. Like that's um it's like the fourth biggest city in the United States. And there's so much going on, so much culture, um, whether that's in the in the arts, music, uh, culinary scene. Uh, it's um, at least in our part of the world and, and maybe in, in some urbanist, you know, sorts of circles, it doesn't get kind of the the, the love and respect that it deserves. But uh, love That's hearing right. about uh, the, the scene in Houston. Yeah, I mean, it's thriving. Minneapolis is another one. It's just beautiful town, great food, good walking. Actually, that's a great bike town. Do you all know anything about their cycling culture there? there? They've got an expansive separated bike lanes. You think that because it's a northern city that gets cold, that that wouldn't be the case, but it's even more. It kind of reminds me of like Amsterdam and places like that that get cold, but like have an extensive system and people are out when it's cold. That's right. 
we um I, I used to live in in Hoboken, New Jersey. My dad, my parents would come to town. We would inevitably end up in you were talking about Chinatown, you know. And so oh, yeah. like you could always get like the best like smoked duck. And it'd just be in like this little aluminum square container from a vendor on the side street. And it was like, you know, five bucks or something, but it was better than anything you could have gotten in any restaurant in, you know, Midtown or Uptown or whatever. It was just fantastic, but always enjoy those kinds of sort of intense, narrow streets, jam packed. And, um, you know, you get the vendors and the little restaurants and you've got the ducks hanging in the window and that kind of stuff. I miss that so much. And it's, you hit on a really important point of just uh, it being such a social magnet as well. I just feel like that's what is so crushing about these times and uh, just the state of where independent restaurants are. I mean, we just they just received a, you know, a huge relief bill that just passed for that. But what restaurants and and bars do for cities is so important and where they're placed how they move people. There are retail areas planned around that. They're, they're just, they're cultural magnets. And I miss those tightly packed city streets full of those restaurants and the smells and just running into people. I miss people being rude to me. (laughs) I would give any, I would give anything for somebody to tell me off right now in a street. I miss it so much. Maybe we'll hold a contest next time I'm on here. We can have somebody call in and follow the, uh, the <laughs> FCC restrictions. You know, like we'll, we'll honor all those no expletives. But yeah, tell off Patrick Callahan. That sounds like a fun, <laughs> a fun segment for the show. So definitely, as someone yourself, that you're a part of the restaurant scene um, here in Louisville. You know, obviously Louisville is a really great restaurant town. It seems like we're kind of coming into the uh, end of the, the the COVID stuff. Hopefully, as the vaccines become more available, um, you know the, the weather's warming up for spring. Um, you, you know, what's your outlook? You know, like for uh, you know what's going to be going down uh, with, with restaurants here coming into spring, coming in through uh, getting all these vaccines. Uh, are we coming into a are we coming back to normal or, or something different in terms of how restaurants are going to operate um, in our urban neighborhoods? Uh, what do you think? I mean, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Uh, I, who, there's no real answer right now with all these variants popping up. I mean, it's so great to have, I was just listening to radio lab uh, the other day and they have a, a segment on where we are with the vaccines and everything. And on one hand you have this, this vaccine that, you know, not only is preventative for you, but also kind of stops the transmission as well, which is super important. But then you have all these variants that we don't know if they're going to be boosters for. It's hard to say. But the one thing that I feel is is kind of like a light at the end of the tunnel or a glimmer of hope right now. And, you know, for the restaurants that have that have made it through, just think of how resilient they are and what they've learned. And, and I'll be interested to see how those practices of survival will pay off in the, uh, in a time when the economy comes back and people are able to visit 
uh, as normally again. Think about the to-go culture. Yeah. You know, high-end restaurants weren't providing to-go food that often, and now that's something that everybody's doing. We, we have to-go cocktails now too. You don't have to go to New Orleans for that. <laughs> Maybe Jack Fry's will open up their their uh, drive-through window again, like they used to have back in the old days. We'll see what happens. <laughs> we are right up here against uh, a little bit of a time for business. If you were listening to WXOX before uh, you tuned into City State, you were checking out uh, The Exploded View with Creighton Barrel. He presents records, tapes, CDs, zeros and ones, useless information, and real humans based around a particular theme. Genres range from the sublimely ridiculous to the ridiculously sublime and points in between. So tune in at WXOX 97.1 FM or RxFM.com, streaming on the internet. Um, every Wednesday, two to four p.m. Eastern, and uh, but, but please, Patrick, I don't know what your schedule's like. Stick around, talk with us if you can. I got I understand if you got to go. I unfortunately have to jump off here. My uh, my daughter has an online uh, piano lesson that I have to help out with. So well, thank you for having you on. Having me next time, we'll do it uh, the full one. I'd love to love yeah. to talk more city stuff. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you and everybody, and uh, I look forward to the next Festival of the Patricks. Yes, we'll make it happen soon. All right, gentlemen, have a good day. What do you guys want to cover? What do you guys want to hit? We got a a big news week. Um, I feel every every week has has been has been big. There's stuff going down, stuff happening. We got what do you guys? Let's talk about the loops. What do you guys think about the loops? I I know um, Patrick Henry, myself. We don't live right, you know, up against the loop, but we definitely do enjoy Cherokee Park uh, on occasion, Iroquois Park. Um, I know, Patrick, you live a little closer to the Highlands. Big chats everywhere about this. I guess um, Olmstead Parks Conservancy had closed the vehicle traffic to Cherokee Park and um, Iroquois Park. Gosh, I mean, like last March, April, May. I can't remember when. It's been, it's been close to a year. And um, I mean, I, I guess the idea was to give people, you know, some sort of space to get out and distance and, um, you know, make, make the park an enjoyable place without out the vehicles. And now they've got a survey out to get a little bit of feedback around whether people are OK with keeping these loops closed in the parks. And this is a little bit of an issue for some people because it's possible. And I know in Cherokee Park's case, it's possible for commuters to use this incredible Olmstead Park is a cut through for them to get, you know, to point A to B, which uh, you, you can probably imagine that somebody like myself is not a huge fan of that. Um, but then other people have, you know, raised a lot of issues. Well, well, they can't get to the, you know, the kid's birthday party at a particular place um, like, what is it, H- Hogan, Hogan Fountain, Hogan Pavilion, what's that called? Um, you know, there's various little areas in the park where people like pop in for events, uh, maybe to watch an intramural soccer game, uh, maybe to uh, chill out for a gathering um, of family or friends. So a lot of people are like very upset about not being able to drive into the interior of the park, um, especially folks that are maybe older, um, definitely folks that have mobility issues. Uh, so th- th- this sort of debate has fired up as Olmstead Park has released this survey about whether or not um, the loops should stay closed to car traffic. And um, there's some some fiery, fiery takes on both sides. Uh, curious what, what, what your thoughts are on this. As far as like the cut through, 
I mean, I'm guilty of that because I live on the exact opposite side of that as to get to a lot of places that I go. And I always saw it as like this uh, brief, like forest bathing, like mental thing where before I get to work or whatever, I would cruise through there and uh, just absorb some of the nature before I got into like downtown and had to start working. But I'm not mad that it's closed. In fact, having been there when it's been closed and enjoying walking around without any cars and all the noise that comes with that and uh, watching out for getting hit and stuff like that, it's, it's way better. I do get that there's an accessibility issue. Um, I think if they keep it permanent, they need to try and figure out how to allow people to be able to park a little bit better along the periphery roads just because not everybody who wants to enjoy the park is from the area or able to not use a car to get there. I do think and the accessibility issue of getting into parts of the park can be somewhat problematic. I don't know. I mean, I think that not having cars in the park has been pretty amazing experience for using the park. Yeah, I agree. I think you I think not having cars in there has been pretty incredible. I do think they've got to address how you park because you've seen sort of the exterior of the park is just getting trashed along like Cherokee Road and stuff. So there's going to have to be some way to resolve that. But, uh, you know, the question is, does every single bit of the park have to be accessible to everybody? Um, Maybe it does. I don't know. I'm just asking um but there are lots of portions of the park that are still you know you can drive a car through right this is just one little section and i think there's a lot of value in having that experience especially being in town it it is a place that's pretty amazing to have so many people using the space and to not have cars it's just kind of wonderful you know my standpoint is that there's so many places in the natural environment around the city that you can drive to. Every yeah. place is, is car accessible right. in Louisville. Every place. Yeah. And this could be Iroquois Park and Cherokee Park could be two small places in this enormous county and region that is chock full of great natural uh, parks, whether they're metro owned, whether they're 21st century parks. Um, whether it's just, you know, a place across the river or a place out in the county or a place right in town. Look at all of the facilities at Louisville Metro Parks on their website and go drive your car to one of those. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> right. can we There's just a lot have of a couple of these places? Yeah. Can we have a couple of these Olmstead gyms like they were intended? The pathways through these parks were intended for like horse and buggies. They weren't intended for people in their, you know, F-150 Raptor um, lifted uh, death machine or, you know, like to, to be uh-huh. rolling through there, like at, at 35, 40 miles an hour next to, you know, people with baby carts and their little dog or whatever. So like, I'm definitely on the no car side. I understand the accessibility issue for seniors and for, for people with mobility issues. But I think that there's got to be some ways um, to make it work. Like, can we just get like a, a little bit of the roadway opened maybe for the, the, the car traffic? Uh, another thing is like if we actually had money and if people actually funded nice things, which we don't really do in America in a lot of places, we could just have like a shuttle service, you know, where like, you know, 
you're in a wheelchair, you're having, you know, breathing issues, whatever, we can like get you wait 20 minutes, wait five minutes, whatever. And you can jump on little, like the little jitney or the little golf cart with the trailer with the seats in it or whatever. And they'll take you up to the area and we could keep this gem of a park that a lot of cities don't have as nice of a park as this car free. I think there's a lot of ways to keep a car free at the minimum. It's got to be shut down to this through traffic. And I think maybe as some sort of a compromise, we could could shut down some of these roads if we can't shut down all of them. I'm not as familiar with Iroquois, so I'm I'm not going to be able to speak as well to Iroquois. But, you know, if you look at like the loop in Cherokee, you can get to like Dog Hill, right? You can get up to that in a car. There's the golf course parking lot, but then there's a lot of parking just, you know, on the road. You know, there's gravel on both sides of the road, so... There's a lot of parking up there, and that becomes easier. There's the one, you know, Hogan's Fountain's harder to get to, right? But again, there's still a paved road around the entire thing, so it's not completely cut off. I've not been spending a lot of time over there. You were saying that as people are sort of parking in the periphery of the park, that there's been some some issues with that. Uh, could you explain on that a little bit? It, I, I haven't seen it. it just... Yeah, I mean, it's just the side of the roads. You don't have gravel on the the sides of the roads there. It was basically soil and plantings, just kind of native plantings or whatever, kind of coming up to the road edge or a mowed lawn area, right? And so as people wanted to get into the park, they, of course, parked all over the side of the roads in areas that were not getting that kind of parking traffic before. So they're they're rutted out, they're nasty when, you know, we have sort of wet seasons, right? People still pull in and park there. You you may have a little bit of tree suffering, you know, that are on the very edge of the park. You know, it's just, it's just mucky and messy, mostly, yeah. is the issue. You're going to have to find a place for people to, for people to park, because all those... You know, if you go into lower sections of, say, Cherokee on the loop there, there are some little park gravel parking lots, but they're in the park. And now all yeah. of a sudden you won't be yeah. able to get to those. Somebody posted the survey um, from uh, the Olmstead Conservancy, you know, asking people what their thoughts were on this on nextdoor.com. And, man, this thing is, like, t- completely blown up. It's got, like, 350 comments. I... I looked at one early and like if you look at a post on nextdoor.com it like sends you emails until you turn it off and i never turned it off just because i wanted to kind of check back in with it over the past few days but oh my god is there so many comments and i mean there's some great you know comments i mean i mean just let me just throw a couple at you so many different perspectives uh really interesting uh, here's one that's kind of in line with you know with, with where i am personally with, with my opinion i voted to keep it closed it has been such a joy not to have to deal with speeding cars cutting through I walk or run daily and have never seen so many people out, especially families with young kids who obviously feel safer without trucks flying by in close proximity. Parks are for people, not for cars. Keep the pedestrian loop car free, please. But then you got to mix that in with probably a good, you know, 50 or 80 comments with folks that, you know, have limited mobility um, or are older, you know, asking you know, how they're going to enjoy this park, especially if they live nearby. I don't know. And that's a, that's a tough one. It's, I think it's just a really, it's, it's a really tough one. I mean, I want them to enjoy it. I just, uh, I wish that there was a way that they could get in and enjoy it without having to get into a car and drive from one of the nearby streets over into the park and then park in the park. 
Yeah, and we're such a car culture. We're used to being able to drive right up to the thing and not used to sort of having to park at a distance and walk in or yeah. whatever. I'm excited to see this because I had asked Layla George, the you know friend of show and person who's running the show over at Olmstead Parks Conservancy, you know, if this was something they were planning on keeping, you know, I asked her that very early on and she just, she wasn't sure if that was something because it comes with cost. Yeah. That's this. Uh, that's what the that survey kind of is. Stuff. I mean, right. Yeah. So it's exciting to see that they're really exploring this possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I, here's an interesting uh, comment from just the hundreds that are on next door when someone posted the survey there. Um, and they're saying that they're noticing just like a very, significant reduction of litter and garbage in the park. Like, I guess all that litter and garbage is staying on the outskirts as all the drivers or whatever are leaving their, you know, bottles and cans around the car instead of bringing it into the park as they come through. That's that's a very um, interesting thing. It's like you're, you're not taking your, like, fast food through your, you know, scenic drive to the park in there because you can't do that anymore. Um, and the people that are going to the park are, you know, walking – parking away they're not you know worried about taking a bunch of uh plastic and and, and and food garbage in there here's one people people are like can we just close it some of the time you know and then here's one like uh people are like well what if we just kept it open but had speed humps and then there's this whole no. interesting comment yeah where somebody's like well if there's speed humps people might drive aggressively fast around the speed humps which to oh, wow. me like that argument's insane and, and just means well, that we shouldn't have cars there at all if that's even an issue. I was just going to say I, when I lived in this, when I lived in New York, you know, the, the sort of major ring road at some point a number of years ago got shut down. Right. So you can cross through the park from one side to the other. But all that's basically like almost subgrade. Right. It's depressed. It's so you don't park? even see those cars in Central Park. Yeah. yeah. To see all those people using that sort of vehicular scaled road, I mean, it's jam packed, of course, in New York. In in New York, you're complaining about the rollerbladers who seem to take up an enormous amount of space for. You're really no dating your reason. time in New York there with the rollerblading. <laughs> um, but you know, this year to to spend time over in Cherokee Park, it was like incredible to see how much use. Of course, we all yeah. need to get out. Right. And and so people needed to get out and they did get out and they used it. And to be in that park, to not have the sound of cars, but to see the, as many people using it as, as were using it was like, wow, this is like big city park experience. Yeah. Let, let, let's check in with um, Layla, friend of show, um, Olmstead Parks director about the survey. Maybe when maybe maybe she could uh, w once they've done what they need to do. Maybe maybe she could come on and when they're ready to share those results and where that's going. Maybe we could talk a little bit about what they heard. Uh, what do you guys think? I, I, I'm thinking it's going to be like a pretty even split, just given how auto dependent we are. Where I know we've heard from a lot of people, but I, I guarantee you there's going to be at least an equal number that want cars to go through there. I think hopefully the. Uh the bikers and walkers will make their voices heard and it sounds like they are. So for sure guys, it was good talking. Happy St. Patrick's day. Thank you for listening to city state right here on WXOXLP Louisville.